Hey there, welcome to episode number 163 of the Healing Pain Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Joe Tata. As always, it is a pleasure spending this time with you. If you're tuning into this episode, chances are you're listening somewhere between the Christmas holiday and the new year. So I wanted to take a moment to wish you a very happy holiday season and of course, a healthy new year as we move into 2020. It's been an honor spending this time with you in 2019 and I look forward to spending more time with you in 2020 as we dive into effective ways to treat chronic pain. As you know, this podcast is important both for practitioners who treat pain and people looking for solutions. I could not do it without your participation and your help. So as we move into 2020, just know that I'm thinking about you and I wish you a happy, healthy, and of course, very successful 2020 filled with lots of love. On today's episode, we are discussing how food sensitivities contribute to chronic pain. Our expert guest this week is Tom Malter. Tom has been studying nutrition since he was 10 years old. He has earned both a bachelor's and a master's degree in nutrition from Bastyr University and is a faculty member of the Institute for Functional Medicine. Tom has over 14 years of clinical experience and is the author of a book called The Elimination Diet, which we'll be talking about more today. On today's episode, you'll learn how food contributes to pain, the connection between food, nutrition, and intestinal permeability, immune reactions, and nutrient deficiencies, how to figure out which foods are causing your pain and which ones are not, what are the biggest pitfalls when doing an elimination diet, and which particular foods are more problematic for people with pain than others. And as part of this episode today, Tom is giving us a free chapter from his book called The Elimination Diet. The name of that free chapter is Food is the Most Powerful Tool for Changing Your Life. To download this chapter for free, all you have to do is text the word 163-DOWNLOAD to the number 44222. That's 163-DOWNLOAD to the number 44222. Or you can open up a browser on your computer and type in integrativepainscienceinstitute.com forward slash 163-DOWNLOAD. That's integrativepainscienceinstitute.com forward slash 163 download. Okay, of course, the topic of nutrition and food sensitivities is important for our tribe. So let's begin and let's meet Tom Altair. Hey, Tom, welcome to the Healing Pain Podcast. It's great to have you here this week. Joe, it's awesome to be with you, man. It's great to see you again. I'm excited to talk to you. We're right around the beginning of the, of the new year, 2020. And yeah. Thinking about their health. And of course, with that, they are or hopefully should be thinking about diet and nutrition. So I was like, let's get a, like one of the world's greatest nutritionists on. Let's talk about the elimination diet, which is something I've talked about. And of course, people with pain and other health diseases and conditions are starting to explore. And I know you're an expert. Of course, you wrote the book on the elimination diet, which everyone should grab. They can find that, of course, on Amazon. It's called The Elimination Diet. But let's say you're in your clinic and a client walks in and you say, I think you really would benefit from a, an elimination diet. And they say, great, Tom, but what is an elimination diet? How would you respond and answer to that question? Absolutely. Well, what I would say, Joe, is I'd say, well, you know, the reality is we're all walking around eating whatever we want, whenever we want. And we're assuming that whatever we're putting into our mouth is responded to politely by our body. And our body doesn't necessarily like everything we consume. And in fact, if you pull the average population, you'll see that 70 to 80% of the people who walk through my clinic have determined that there's some sort of food, either one or two or three or more, that doesn't work well with their system. So they'll say to you, for example, I eat eggs like Sean Croxton and I get constipative-like reactions, you know, or I eat dairy and I get some sort of sinus congestion and or I break out in some sort of rash. 
or I eat gluten and I feel fatigue and I get GI upset or both. So yeah, it's very, very common for people to recognize there are foods that don't work well with their, their symptoms and their systems, but they haven't really analyzed all of the foods. So what I say is, I say, look, we're going to determine which foods work best for you. That's what the elimination diet is. It's not something where we eliminate foods out of your system for the rest of your entire lives. It's something where we explore, we investigate, we do some sort of experiment to determine what flips on the light for you and makes you feel 20 years younger and what holds you back and creates pain in your joints, your back, your shoulder, your head, and keeps you from having normal bowel movements. What is the food or the foods that are causing you problems. So that's it. We determine what makes you rock and what's holding you back. I love that. And of course, everyone who's listening to this podcast wants to be rocking in the new year. So (laughs) let's kind of dive in. So I know you are an amazing clinician, but you're also someone who can like go really deep into like the science and the research and the data. We were just talking before we started the podcast, you're doing some great research into Alzheimer's on the side, which is such important work. But when it comes to pain, Tell us which foods could potentially contribute to pain. And then more importantly, how does that like, I guess a lot of practitioners listening, they're going to wonder, well, how does gluten, for example, affect your body in an adverse way that causes pain? So kind of on that systems-based biology, if you kind of run through that in your mind, so to speak. Yeah. So after running thousands upon thousands of people through an elimination diet over the years and having an online program that runs people through the elimination diet and watching thousands of people from around the globe doing this, it's very clear to me that there are six particular proteins in foods that cause issues for people. So the foods that have those proteins are gluten, dairy, eggs, yeast, corn, and soy. So those are the top six that I find turn on people's immune systems and cause whether it's going to be chronic migraines or exacerbation of rotator cuff injuries or chronic low back pain, or most commonly there's joint pain, fatigue, it's associated with these foods. So those are the top six, gluten, dairy, eggs, yeast, corn, soy. But I would say there's a king and a queen, and the king is definitely gluten. Gluten seems to be problematic in a lot of people, and gluten can cause pain in the gastrointestinal tract, it can cause pain in the musculoskeletal system, it can cause pain in the head for headaches, it's everywhere. How would a food, something that would be normally considered healthy, like whole grains or whole wheat or whatever that our dietitians have been telling us for decades is fantastic for you, give you the fiber, give you the bowel movements, whatever it is, how can that be potentially problematic? Well, it's amazing because there are specific proteins in specific foods, including these top six I mentioned, gluten, dairy, eggs, yeast, corn, and soy, that are very difficult to digest. In fact, we find that the gliadin protein and other subsets of gliadin are very difficult to digest. In fact, impossible by most humans to completely break down. So Joe, what happens to proteins in foods that are not broken down very well? Well, they end up going past the gastrointestinal tract, normally through our mastication, our chewing, our stomach acid, and then through the enzymes of the stomach and further on through the intestines. And they don't get broken down. They're larger in size. So, you know, normally we'll want to break things down into single amino acids or double amino acids. We don't want three or four or five or 17 or 32 amino acids stuck together. So if they're still intact and for some reason they're allowed to pass through our intestinal lining, if you have an intact peptide or protein fragment in this system, what do you think your immune system is going to do, right? Look at that thing and say, wait a second, this is not a human cell. This is not something that I recognize. Therefore, I'm going to attack it. Well, you have two problems then. Number one, you have an undigested protein. And number two, you have a leaky gut. The reason gluten is king is because research is very clear in showing us that every single human that ingests gluten gets a leaky gut. 
every single person. So it doesn't matter if you have celiac disease or gluten sensitivity, it doesn't matter. It seems to stimulate the release of particular proteins that cause intestinal permeability. So you consume gluten, you get a leaky gut. You consume gluten, you can't digest it. You have larger protein fragments that are now allowed to pass into the system if you have a leaky gut. Well, since every person who consumes gluten gets a leaky gut, you have the one-two punch. You're going to have these undigested peptides exposed to your immune system. Now, granted, if you have super healthy gut bug, if you have a lot of mucus production in your intestinal tract, if your immune system is pretty calm and doesn't overreact to things, this might be a non-issue for you, right? But for anybody who has an imbalanced immune system, imbalanced gut, imbalanced nutrients that don't allow them to produce enough mucus or protect the inflammatory response of the intestinal tract, it can be a nightmare. So a lot of people who consume gluten these days have adverse reactions to it. One of the adverse reactions is their immune system responds to it every time they eat it. If your immune system is responding to something, what do you feel? Well, redness, swelling, heat, and pain. Those are immune responses. So if you're going to get pain after you consume a food every single time, you know, that's probably not to your benefit. So I would hope that at one point in time in every human's life on this planet, they would consider at least doing a gluten elimination. And since we now find at least 50% co-reaction with dairy, they do a gluten and dairy elimination diet. So let's say it's too much for you to do yeast, corn, and soy. Fine. But at least for the new year or whenever time you're going to choose, eliminate gluten and dairy and see what happens. So you know, well over 70, 80% of the people who come through the doors of my clinical practice and go on an elimination diet will hear fantastic responses. Like, I didn't know that I could have clear skin. I didn't know that I wouldn't have joint pain. I didn't know that my low back pain might be associated with the foods I'm consuming. I didn't know that the trigger finger or carpal tunnel syndrome that I have is associated with consuming certain foods. I didn't know that my chronic migraines can disappear in a matter of 12, 14 days, and they don't come back as long as I eliminate the gluten and dairy. So it's, I would say, a gift for you to experiment and see if your system really appreciates or doesn't appreciate and is having adverse reactions to these foods. Excellent introduction. And then whenever someone starts to talk about gluten and leaky gut, and of course, immune reactions like you're talking to, of course, I think about chronic pain in general, but the one group where there's like big lights that kind of go off in my head are obviously the people who are predisposed to any type of autoimmune condition. Absolutely. So if you look at the research now, what are we over 300 different diseases that are co-associated with the consumption of gluten with autoimmune diseases being at the top of the list, right? So and as we know, there are three things that, are, that you need to have autoimmune develop. You need to have that trigger, leaky gut, and the genes. So that trigger that could cause a leaky, leaky gut, as you mentioned, could be gluten and or dairy in those people. What I also really love about what you said, Tom, is that yes, there are elimination diets out there that are upwards of 10 to 15 different foods. Paleo autoimmune protocol is one, but just starting with one or two foods may be beneficial for people. Absolutely. I mean, the reality, Joe, is that most people, when they start doing an elimination diet or a new diet program, fail. They don't stick with it. So whether it's intentional or unintentional, the first time you try it, many times people don't succeed. I was walking people through in my clinical practice all the time because I had issues. I had fatigue problems. I had bowel problems. I had joint pain issues. 
I had mood problems. And I realized that when I let go of the gluten and dairy, boom, these things disappeared, right? Everything normalized. And I felt like a new human being. I mean, you exist on this level and you're half awake and then you take care of whatever issues you need to take care of. And then you exist at this level, whether that's dietary in my case or psychological in other people's case or nutrient deficiencies, whatever it is, you exist here. And then when you feel like this is possible at all times, you go, hey, guys, dang, let's go. Let's bring it up this next level, right? So I was going around and I was touting all these elimination diets to everybody else, you know, and I said, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. I had the passion. I knew the results and I would try and convince other people to go along with it. And they, you know, cerebrally, they get it. And they say, oh, that's great. I know I should do that. But then all sorts of stuff comes in. Well, it's not convenient. I socialize over my beer and pizza with my friends. I can't do nachos. I can't be without nachos after I come down from snowboarding, right? I mean, all these things pop up for you, you know? There's a lot of emotional, psychosocial connections with food. Not to mention, did you know, Joe, that the most addictive food is actually cheese? There are actual compounds in cheese, the opioid peptides, that they actually cause you to crave them much like you would like drugs. So I've actually had some people who have gone on elimination diets and in the middle of the night, they'll call me up and they're sweating and they're dreaming about cheese and they're like, what am I supposed to do, man? I have these images of nachos floating in my head. All I want is a grilled cheese sandwich. I can run out of my kitchen right now. I'm like, hey, take a deep breath. Take a deep breath. It's okay. Here's what's happening, right? You actually have addictive proteins found in milk. Those are meant to keep young animals, young humans, constantly breastfeeding so they can grow and develop. And they're supposed to be sedated when they're doing this so they don't make a lot of noise and attract predators. And you know, this is, this is a natural process of us having drugs in milk to calm us and keep us well fed. Mm. But if you take away a lot of the liquid, a lot of the fat, and you just highly concentrate the protein casein, which you do in cheese, then these casomorphins, these addictive morphine-like compounds are concentrated exponentially. Now, all of a sudden, people are like, I want to do an elimination diet, but all I think about is cheese, right? So you'll have social cues, you'll have biochemical cues, you'll have all these things that are holding you back from success. So that's why I had to write a book, man. That's why I had to do an online program so I can like walk people through it, right? I can remind them, you have these little calls and encouragement and say, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this. Have an online Facebook group so everybody is like, hey, look, I know you're craving this now, but let it go. Two days from now, six days from now, 12 days, 14 days from now, you're going to be a new human being. So just yeah. stick with it, stick with it, stick with it. So the reality is if you can just try gluten and dairy first and learn where all the hidden sources are, and learn what food alternatives you can consume and learn what recipes really work for you, then you can jump into the 10 food elimination diet or 12 food or the autoimmune paleo protocol or whatever you want to do. But if you take it in chunks, oftentimes people have better success. That's really great about the cheese aspects. I never thought about the calming effect that let's say milk and dairy has on someone. That makes sense from an evolutionary perspective because obviously it's milk, you're feeding it to a baby and obviously it's nutrition for the baby, you know, mother's milk, but it's that calming effect on the baby, but it doesn't quite work like that when it's cow's milk or cow's products that you're now giving to full-grown adults who um, obviously has different kind of biochemical process going on. So uh, gluten dairy should be relatively easy for most people, so to speak. Out of those four to five others that you mentioned, yep. if you had to choose one or two others, let's say that people with pain should be aware of, 
which, where does your mind kind of take you? Well, it's interesting because eggs are far more prevalent than people would imagine. There's a local pediatrician here, or allergist, pedi- pediatric allergist, who says eggs equal eczema in kids, right? Because the immune system is so stimulated by eggs. Not only are eggs introduced early on in the diet, but oftentimes they're adjuvants, they're, they're protein ingredients in vaccines. So people's immune systems get exposed to those egg proteins very shortly after birth for many of our children these days. So I would say eggs has to be on the list. After that, you could do, gosh, soy, you could do yeast, you could do corn. It just depends. Those kind of run in, in a three similar pack. But gluten, dairy, eggs, I would say king, queen, prince, but tackle those three. And I'd be shocked if you don't notice a change if you've been dealing with chronic pain for a while. So with regard to eggs, would someone notice a difference, let's say, if they're having a quote-unquote kind of conventional store-bought egg versus an organic egg, let's say versus a duck egg. And I know it's kind of super technical, but the reason why I ask to be a little bit selfish here for a moment is I do great with duck eggs. I have no yeah. reaction yeah. to duck eggs, but yeah. any type, technically any type of chicken egg for me yeah. is really not so great for me from an IBS perspective for me personally. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, a lot of people get digestive complaints with the eggs, whether it's the constipation or whatnot. But then that often, as you know, Joe, leads to then intestinal issues and imbalances. And then that often leads to the pain issues, right? So yeah, it's totally possible that a person may not respond to a duck egg. Now, I've heard that multiple times over the years. I see that all the time, actually. But then there's also the people who don't do well with duck eggs and chicken eggs. So it depends on you as a person, and that's why you do the elimination diet process. So when you take out the gluten, dairy, and eggs, for example, what I would encourage most people to do is challenge back in then a duck egg first. Wait that 72-hour period and then challenge back in a chicken egg and see if one is tolerable versus the other ones. Oh, that's really interesting. So you can take foods from the same food group, basically, so and just challenge them individually to see. For, for example, cow's milk, just as for an argument, say cow's milk, may, you may not respond to, but you may respond to, let's say, sheep's milk. Sheep or goat, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's totally possible. It's usually the other way around because <clears throat> yeah. cow's milk in the United States is so prevalent early on, whether it's formula proteins or given prematurely. You know, there's some interesting things that are happening in the allergy research these days too, Joe, is where a lot of people are pushing for introduction of food while a child is still breastfeeding between four and six months of age. And if you look closely, there's a whole nother group of allergy researchers who are saying, no, do not introduce any of those proteins, the peanuts, the dairy, the gluten, until two years of age. And some are even saying, especially with the gluten camp, is saying, gosh, if you could prevent children from eating any gluten until two years and full immune development and the gut is healed and sealed and ready to rock, then we could probably within a few generations alleviate celiac disease. So yeah, it's the introduction that seems to be really important as to when somebody's going to respond. But yeah, I would say by adding back in specific types of foods, you can determine if there's some you can tolerate. The most important part of the experiment though is completely getting them out. And the problem that I'm seeing is that anytime you eat out, anytime you prepare foods you know, with friends that are using utensils that have wheat flour on them or whatever, is actually succeeding in getting them out. So whether it's intentional or unintentional cross-contamination, the biggest barrier that I see people having for success of a true elimination diet is actually truly eliminating everything. Mm-hmm. And people aren't conscious of the fact that if I go out to Mexican food, they might be adding a little bit of 
wheat flour into the sauce to thicken it. Or if I go out for sushi, a lot of white rice is being added with wheat flour to thicken and make the sushi rice more sticky. Or if I'm going to eat lentils and I'm a vegetarian, for example, that most lentils in the United States and Canada, all of North America, are cross-contaminated with gluten-containing grains in the lentils. So if you sift through the lentils in your bulk bin, you can see there's actually gluten-containing grains in there. So yeah, it's a lot about reintroduction, but more importantly, even before we get to the reintroduction phase is let's make sure we get all of it out. That's a thing I want people to be conscious of too is, you know, gosh, am I going to feel better? I'm going to try a gluten-free, dairy-free diet or egg-free diet as well, but make sure that you have a hundred percent of it out. It's one of those things where people often come back to me and they say, Tom, I'd be getting most of my gluten and dairy out and I just don't feel better yet. And I was like, okay, is there a person who's mostly pregnant? Is there a person who's like, no, you're either pregnant or you're not pregnant. Do you have a peanut allergy? You either have an allergy or you don't have an allergy. It's like the same thing. You're either taking it out and your immune system is no longer getting teased and tickled by these little proteins or you're not taking it out. But any little fragment, let me tell you one case I just recently had. I just called. She just texted me yesterday. We couldn't figure out. We kept running these tests. She knew she had a gluten reaction. We kept running these tests and she had positive gluten. She kept looking at her diet and she couldn't find anywhere in her diet that she was getting exposed to gluten. And then I said, well, you know, then look at your entire life and see if there's anywhere that you're exposed to it in your life. And she says, oh, that's interesting. I wake up every morning and I feed my chickens. Oh, where do you feed your chickens? Well, I go into their enclosure and I take this scooper and I scoop out this, this feed and I say, great, what's in the feed? Oh, it's got barley and but I'm like, oh, stop, you know, okay. So you've got this barley in there and there's dust in there. Is, is it enough for the dust that you're putting into the inhaling in the air? Is it enough? Well, I have an article from New England Journal of Medicine that actually had similar results where two people had diagnosed celiac disease and they weren't getting better. And the researchers followed them and they found out that the dust in the air when they were feeding their animals and inhaling the dust was enough to then get into their intestinal tract and cause an immune reaction. And people right now might be startled and they're like, wow, God, that's ridiculous. Breathing it in and I'm going to have a reaction. That's like militant. Like I'm not going to restrict my life that much. And I'm like, well, if you go on an airplane and someone coughs five rows back from you, and you then inhale that air, you know you could get the flu. Mm -hmm. So how is it that if someone's in your kitchen making cookies or cakes or pancakes, and you see the dust all in the air, and you're breathing it, and it settles on your food, and you eat your food, how is it that would be different, right? So I just ask that when people do it, they do 100%. They really investigate where those reactions are. That New England Journal of Medicine article proved to us, Joe, it showed that when those people put on dust masks, when they went to go feed their animals, their immune reactions in their intestinal tract stopped, right? So yeah, you know, if you're going to do this, let's do this. And if you need help, of course, I wrote a book, right? You got an online <laughs> program. Like I'm here to help you find the little details. But what I really want is success. I really want if you jump in and you're going to do this, do it right and get those results. Because when you can get those proteins out, you can stop the pain. Yeah. And of course, you can grab the first chapter of Tom's book just by texting the word 163 download to the number 44222. That's 163 download to the number 442, or you can grab it at integratedpainscienceinstitute.com forward slash 163 download. You'll get that first free chapter and I can guarantee you, you will want to buy his whole book called The Elimination Diet because it's really the best elimination diet book out there for whether you're a practitioner or whether you're someone who's interested in learning more about a diet. All right. So let's say there is a 45-year-old woman who's just been diagnosed with autoimmune disease with or let's just say it's fibromyalgia. It doesn't even have to be autoimmune disease. And she's already taken sugar out of her diet. 
She doesn't eat dairy because she knows that she just is intolerant to it in general. Sure. So she's going to take a stab at gluten. Mm -hmm. How many weeks or months do you recommend she should eliminate gluten for before she rechallenges it? So it turns out that there's a minimum of around 28 days, so about a month in which the symptoms will subside in most people to notice a difference. If you look at the German research, it shows that the antibody levels are actually elevated for six months. So if you said minimum, I would say a month, 30 days. If you said optimal, I would say six months. Very few people are committed to six months. Mm. I'll power to you if you can do that. But if not, then bare bones minimum, let's do 30 days. So for example, in my book, I ask people you know, to eliminate a few different foods you know, during that time frame, And I ask them to add back in gluten at the very end. So when you have already challenged everything else, then add back in the gluten and you should be able to notice a difference by that. But it takes a while for the antibodies in your system to change and dissipate and therefore you'll calm down. And once you calm down, then you can add back in and see if you spike again and you have some symptoms. Right. So obviously, if you're on a larger scale elimination diet where you're challenging, let's say three to five foods, if you do gluten last, then you'd have stayed off it for quite a, probably up to two to three months then basically. Yes. Yeah. Which is great. That's great advice. Now, I don't want to open a can of worms, Tom, but I've heard you talk about toxicity, which I know is another one of your passions. <laughs> I'd love to have you back on a whole podcast to talk about it. Oh, yeah, but sure. just give us like a kind of, we just opened the window just a little bit on what toxicity could potentially do to your digestive or your immune system. Pick one, pick your favorite. Both. So the reality is that we are designed to be interacting with chemicals all day long. We have things in the air that we need like oxygen, nitrogen, carbon dioxide that we interact with all the time, right? And anytime you're going to then tag on to those additional chemicals, something like polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons from burning or benzoapyrene from burning, which is one of the PAHs, you've got these things that now your body has to process. You inhale them. They usually end up you know, stimulating the brain in a manner of saying, uh-oh, alert and alarm, there's something else here. And then when they do that, they shift the brain cell's behavior, and specifically the mitochondria of the brain is very, very susceptible. So then all of a sudden, we get signals that say, alert and alarm, something is wrong. It turns out the mitochondria are now part of the immune system, as, as we're learning. And so that then shifts the entire system, because the brain is the overseer of the whole body. And hormone production will shift digestive function will shift all sorts of different things. So that's just air. Water, we're drinking in substances, we'll get in, you know, through our liver, they'll come in to our entire body and shift hormones once again. Gosh, our GI tract, we're now seeing metals in the GI tract change the growth of certain organisms, they'll stimulate the immune cell function, they'll cause intestinal permeability. Wherever you're getting in chemicals that are in higher concentrations than our cell network knows how to deal with, it'll completely shift our function. So it doesn't matter if you're wanting to bring in nutrients, if you want to protect yourself from bugs in your gut, if you're wanting to calm down the system and deliver oxygen and energy, and that's impeded by chemicals. Every single aspect of the human organism is going to be influenced negatively by what we call exogenous chemicals, the chemicals produced outside the body that we can't process quickly. So yeah, I don't, that's a very broad overview, but let's just say that chemicals influence every single aspect of life. And the reality is, Joe, I mean, we are in an economy, a global economy right now that promotes the sale and use of chemicals that can be patented 
and made profit from. So our current administration, for example, is highly promoting fossil fuels. They're highly promoting, they want to get rid of all air regulations to promote an economy that you know, pumps more of these chemicals. They're highly promoting using fuels to make more plastics. And the research is, is overwhelmingly showing us that plastics are behind a lot of the hormone disruption disorders that we're familiar with these days, like obesity, diabetes, even autoimmune conditions. So it's, it's very, very clear. And the science is extremely clear that we're messing with life here. But the profit from these chemicals is really driving the sale and use of them. So we're imagining that we're going to have now, you know, about 300 pounds per person per day of chemicals being imported or produced in the United States here uh, very soon. Yeah. So within the kind of the lens of an elimination diet or looking at food and nutrition, what's one thing someone could do to help mitigate some of that, which might wind up on their food and of course in their body with regard to toxicity? There's a lot of very simple solutions. Number one, getting rid of the exposure somehow. So air purifiers, water purifiers, eating organic foods, those are the big stones in the jar, the things that will move the needle more than anything else. But then on top of that, it would be making sure that you're consuming lots of liquid, you're consuming fibrous foods, so you will eliminate. Dilution is the solution to pollution, so making sure plenty of fluids that are clean, pure fluids. And then also the fibers themselves will kind of bind to the substances and get them into your fecal matter and into your stool and leave them there, which is great because they'll end up in the toilet. So yes, those things are really clear. And then accelerating the detoxification by consuming lots of whole vegetables is fantastic. In fact, the cruciferous vegetables, I did a TED talk on broccoli, the DNA whisperer that talks about how when you consume broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage, kale, Brussels sprouts, those sulfury rich vegetables, they accelerate the detoxification and antioxidant function in every single cell of the human body. So that along with, you know, come on, blueberries and pomegranates and lots of whole vegetables, uh, you know, there are literally hundreds of thousands of chemicals in these substances that accelerate detoxification. And they'll actually replace chemicals at the cell receptor sites. So by consuming things like rosemary and thyme and different herbs, we're seeing that people will accelerate the excretion of chemicals in their urine and, and feces. Excellent. So many great take home, Tom, for people who want to begin an elimination diet or maybe try an elimination diet a second time if they didn't do it right the first time. Of course, they can check out your book, The Elimination Diet, which is the title. You also have two other books. One is called Nourishing Meals and the other is the Whole Life Nutrition Cookbook. And that cookbook has amazing recipes everyone should check oh. out. That's Allie, Allie Sagerson. Yeah, she's the, the genius behind the recipe. I'm the science geek and she's the genius behind the recipes. So I'll give the why and she gives the what. Right? Right. So those are great recipes. You're right. She's an intuitive genius when it comes to making delicious stuff. So, and they're yeah. all gluten-free, dairy-free recipes. Well, I always say cooking really is like chemistry. But if you meet someone who's a great cook, they not only understand food and nutrition, but they also yeah. understand chemistry. So it's like this beautiful mix of like science as well as art that kind of happens. And of course, you can nourish yourself with it. Tell everyone how they can learn more information about you and the services and products that you have. Yeah, absolutely. So the best way is just to go to wholelifenutrition.net and you can see the Elimination Diet book is there, the Whole Life Nutrition Cookbook is there, Nourishing Meals Cookbook is there. Yeah. You'll see that you can access the program if you're interested in the Elimination Diet program as well. We have lots of information on gluten there and videos and whatnot. And you can see, I see clients. So if you're interested in digging deep and really wanting to do nutrient testing or food testing, whatever you want to do, that's possible. Uh, but that's the best way to follow me right now is at wholelifenutrition.net website. Excellent. So I want to thank Tom for joining us this week on the Healing Pain Podcast. Make sure you check out his website, 
wholelifenutrition.net and of course his book, The Elimination Diet. And make sure to share this episode with your friends and family on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, wherever you're hanging out with your friends. They need this information so they can check out how food sensitivities contribute to their pain. I'm Dr. Joe Tata. We'll see you next week. Thanks, Joe.